Good morning church, my name is Jenny Kitson and this morning's reading is from Luke chapter 6 verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. By far the card game that I hate the most is the game cheat. It's that game where you are encouraged to cheat in order for you to discard all the cards that you're holding in your hand. And you do that by following the sequential suit. But if you can't, you just say that you are. You put down a 10 when you're really wanting to put down two jacks or whatever it might be. And you can get away with it, provided no one else in the circle says cheat. But should someone say cheat, then you've got to flip the cards and you reveal whether or not you've been telling the truth or you've been caught in the lie. And I hate that game. Um, I hate it for a whole lot of reasons, but I think mostly because I don't like being caught out. And not just in a card game. I mean, I think we all do, don't we? To be caught in a lie, to be shown to be a fraud, to be inconsistent in some kind of way. And whilst that might not be a big deal in a card game, it's an entirely different thing when it happens in your life. And an even bigger thing still, surely a massive thing, if you were there listening to Jesus one day, you're there part of a great crowd that's gathered in front of him and he says, let's flip the cards and let's see if there's a consistency between what you say and the way that your life is playing out. And that's exactly what happens when we come to this text in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? That's the way that Jesus finishes his sermon on the plain. Now, when you hear Sermon on the Plain, you think that sounds like a terrible sequel. Like first there was snakes on a plane and now this summer's action thriller at 20,000 feet. Come and see the terror of passengers locked in as the preacher unloads his 50 minute monologue on Sermon on a Plane. I mean, no one's going to go and watch Sermon on a Plane. It's a drowned out kind of boring. That, of course, the, the plane that Jesus is on that day and that Luke is making reference to is a flat place. Uh, and in fact, since verse 17 in chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching a loud, large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all over Judea on the plain. We're told that they are there to hear and to be healed, uh, they're to hear Jesus and to be healed by him. We know that it's quite a mixed crowd. There are those that are gathered that are keen and there are those that are inquisitive. In some respects, the Sermon on the Plain is similar to the Sermon on the Mount that you find in Matthew's Gospel, even though they're likely to be given at different times and obviously different places, one on a mountain, one on a plain. But they cover similar topics. In both sermons, uh, they give you a clear challenge to what it will mean to be a follower of Jesus. In, in fact, 
they are going to massively reorder your values. We saw that when we looked at the blessings and the woes in the first part of this sermon. It's going to radically change the way you think about what it is to love, even to love your enemies. Both sermons are going to call out hypocrisy and challenge the ability that we have to judge and condemn others when we don't place the same scrutiny on ourselves. So you're to deal with the log in your own eye rather than tend to the speck in your brother or sister's eye. And of course, the really obvious way that these sermons are similar is that they both end in exactly the same way, with the same concluding parable about two builders. And for many, the story of the two builders, one wise, one foolish, will be incredibly familiar. I mean, you, you probably sang the songs as a kid. And you know how it goes, the, the super simple concept to understand that you could build on sand and that's foolish. Or you could build on rock and that's wise. And that Jesus is the rock and so application, build on Jesus Christ, who is your Lord and Saviour. And as familiar as all of that is, I think it's really easy to tune out. It's like when the flight attendant gets up at the front of the plane and goes through the safety demonstration. I mean, in go the headphones and out comes the book. I mean, you're distracted. You've heard it all before. Even though it's information that is life-saving and vital, you're not interested, not anymore. It's just another sermon on the plane and you've zoned out. And that's exactly the problem that Jesus is taking issue with here. This is not a sermon on the plane to be ignored. As he addresses that crowd that has gathered on the flat plane, he wants to point out that you say one thing, but your lives tell a different story. You've tuned out? And so as Jesus ends the sermon on the plane, he calls them out by doing two things. He asks them an arresting question, and then he paints them a very graphic image. And it's meant to shock you. It's meant to challenge you that you would immediately take stock of the situation because here's the premise of how Jesus wants to finish his sermon to that crowd. He says to them, it is as foolish and devastating to hear the teaching of Jesus without obeying it as it is to build a house with no foundation. As foolish and devastating to hear the teaching of Jesus without obeying it as it is to build a house with no foundations. And you think, well, hang on, well, who would do that? Who would build with no foundation? And Jesus looks at that crowd and he asks the question that kind of shines the light underneath the joists and says, let's see what's going on under here. And he comes with the question. Notice how he starts. The penetrating technique of saying to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so here's the crowd, interested enough that they have come to hear what Jesus is on about and interested what Jesus can do for the sick and the afflicted. And enough that they will call him Lord, which is a significant recognition. It's a term of affection and endearment, but it's more than that because they're not calling him rabbi or teacher, but Lord. And see, at very least, it's making the assertion that he is a master to be followed. But it's probably more likely that that title is making a messianic claim, that he is the Lord, the Messiah, the sent one from God. And the fact that they double down on the title, Lord, Lord, says something about their emphasis and their enthusiasm for him. So they make the claim 
Lord, Lord. And yet they're not commended for that because the question immediately comes is, why do you say that and not do what I say? If you call me Lord, Lord, then you've come to see me as Messiah, the one who's able to bring you salvation. I mean, I mean you've said that you follow me, you've come, you're here. And the logical thing then would be for you to be transformed, that there would be an evidence in your obedience. But you say, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. How is it that I'm Lord then? It's the same idea that Jesus conveys regularly. You might think of that place in John chapter 15 where he speaks about the vine and the branches and he's, he's talking about the ridiculous situation of having a branch that's connected into the vine but is fruitless. How is that? And so Martin Luther will say, we're saved by faith alone and not by works, but the faith that saves is never alone. It works itself out in obedience. And Jesus arresting question to that crowd is your lip and your life they're out of sync and when that happens something is terribly wrong why do you say lord lord and do not do what i say and to show how terribly wrong the situation is jesus moves then to paint a very graphic image he sets up a parable and as he does it, he does it in verse 47 by saying, For everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. Now notice that they come and they hear, and the distinctive of this individual is that they put into practice, that they're transformed, life gets changed, priorities shift, loves get reordered, they respond with obedience. Have a look at what they're like in verse 48. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And then when the flood came and the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Well, the, the alternative is exactly the person that Jesus questioned back in verse 46 who has this disconnect Notice, they come as well. They say, Lord, Lord, too. In verse 49, they hear too. But, verse 49, but the one who hears my word and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. See, what do you notice about those two builders? They both build houses and they both look good, you would think. I mean, from the outside you look on, they look the same. In fact, if you were to watch those two builders build, you might actually prefer the second builder. I mean, the, the second bloke's getting the job done. No sooner did he get the DA than the trucks were pulling up and the slab was laid and, and up goes the frame, the roof's on and anytime soon the bricks are going to be going up for sure. But the other guy, I mean, you walk past the site and you don't even see him. Every now and again, you just see a spray of sand though go off the top of his shovel. And then another spray and another spray. And he's down in the hole and he's digging away day after day. And the other guy, he's getting it done, isn't he? I mean, look at that. That's very impressive. But then you just see this guy, shovel load after shovel load. And then one day as you go by, you hear, tink. He's hit rock. And then tink, tink, tink. And it just keeps going. Tink, tink. And you think, what on earth is he still doing? 
And so you call down to him and you say, mate, your neighbour, he's got the jiprock going in and there are tilers on the job. He's going to be finished pretty soon. What are you doing? And you hear called back from the foundation. Out of the hole, he says, look, if I'm going to build on this, I'm going to connect to the rock at every point. Tink, 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 and away he goes. See, here is the one who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And Jesus is pointing to that builder and saying, there is wisdom, isn't there, in putting a foundation down to the rock. And it's seen in his obedience. He's doing what needs to be done. I was reading Spurgeon this week and he preached on this same passage on the 21st of January in 1883. It's a sermon from another era, but but just listen to it for a moment. He says, O ye builders, care not merely for the present, but build for death and judgment and eternity. The wise builder digged deep. You cannot do a right thing too well. Dig deep if you do dig a foundation. If it be repentance, let it be an intensely earnest repentance, including a vehement hatred of every form of sin. If you make confession before God, confess with your very soul and not with your lips only. Lay bare your spirit before the glance of deity. If it be faith that you talk of, believe right up to the hilt. Do not go in for that kind of sceptical believing which is so common nowadays. If thou believest, believe. If thou repentest, repent. In the purging of the soul, there is nothing like sweeping out every particle of the old leaven of falsehood. And in bringing in the good things into the heart, there is nothing like bringing in everything that Christ prescribes. That of his fullness that we might receive not only grace, but grace for grace and grace upon grace and all the grace that's needed. Be downright in everything. The wise builder dug through the earth and continued his digging till he reached the rock. And then he dug into the rock and he struck out a trench wherein he might lay his foundation. It's good, isn't it? Be earnest. Dig. Of course, there's a way of hearing and of saying that is just lip. And Spurgeon makes comment on that and he says, the common temptation is, instead of really repenting, is to talk of repentance. And instead of heartily believing, to say, I believe without believing. And instead of truly loving, to love without loving. And instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ and profess to come to Christ and yet not to come at all. The character of talkative in Pilgrim's Progress is ably drawn. I've met the gentleman many times and can bear witness that John Bunyan was a photographer before photography was invented. Christian said of him, he talketh of prayer, of repentance, of faith and of new birth, but he knows but only to talk of them. I've been in his family and in his house is empty. It's empty of any religion as white as a, the white of an egg is empty of flavour. You see, there are two builders, two houses that get built. And what's the problem? I mean, they look great, but there's no foundation. There's no authenticity. Flip the cards and see. And what is it that shows the deficiency in the build? 
It's really clear, isn't it? When the storm comes. That's only the time where you'll see it. You'll see that the one with the foundation withstands. As the flood and the torrent comes, it is not shaken. It still is impacted, but not shaken. The foundation holds. The anchor holds. The storms and the torrents will come. And that's what Jesus is saying. How are you building your life? Trusting, believing, with that foundation on that rock? See, see, maybe you recognise now the storm that you're in. Maybe it feels like the torrents are coming. And has the foundation been laid? Maybe you're not, but know that they will come soon enough. And of course, the ultimate storm will come to us all. The storm of death and judgment. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 and 11 addresses this topic. He says, build with care. In verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones or wood or hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. And the day he's speaking of is the day of judgment. Will it withstand? If it's on the rock, it's solid. But Jesus looks out to that crowd as he's preaching the Sermon on the Plain. And have they all tuned out? Is it all a fraud? Are they disengaged? Is there a disconnect between their lip and their life? Well, how is it with us? See, come back to the question. That penetrating question that Jesus asked. And suppose for a moment, just just suppose that Jesus could ask you or me the same question. Leon, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? And I stand. How do I answer that? How do you answer that? Have you got a valid reason? And so for us today, where are the places that you know you need to sink a deep foundation? Areas where your practice is out of sync. with what obedience to trust in Jesus ought to look like. It's to disconnect. Because it is as foolish and devastating to hear the teaching of Jesus without obeying it as it is to build a house with no foundation. But to have that foundation is the wisest thing to do. And the thing that brings the greatest peace. And so I want to finish with the words of an old hymn. That shifts that idea from the building of a foundation to the capacity of an anchor to hold a vessel. And the hymn writer writes, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life when the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? It will surely hold in the floods of death when the waters cold chill our latest breath. On the rising tide, it can never fail while our hopes abide within the veil. And the chorus, 
We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. Jesus comes to us this morning and says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And then he calls us to look at a graphic image, two builders, and to say, which one are you? Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would draw our attention to the one who is the rock, the ultimate foundation to Jesus Christ. And our obedience to him, Lord, would you have us look to the foundation laid. We want to come and hear you and more than ever, Lord, obey. Lord, where we need to sink that anchor down, establish that foundation, Lord, would you draw it to us this day? Would you guide us in our repentance and what it is for us to hold fast and to trust and believe, what it is, Lord, to love and to reflect what it is to live with you as our Lord, our Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you give us wisdom? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.